0: Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host and founder of lowtoxlife.com. Now, some people say sometimes it's hard to find recipes. They don't know what even they could look for. The best thing to do is on our site, because we have over 300 recipes on there now, um, given the blog's been going for a number of years, and they're all my recipes and they're all gluten-free um, because I'm particularly intolerant to gluten myself. So that's just a non-negotiable for me. Many recipes are dairy-free. Most can be made either dairy-free or grain-free or with some really simple substitutions if needed. And, and there's loads there. So do things like... Um, Go into Google and in Google type low-tox life and then type something like chocolate or low-tox life cake or low-tox life bar or low-tox life soup or low-tox you know, just type in kind of a bit of a category and then you'll see in your Google um, a whole bunch of – recipes from the site. I find that personally when I need to look up one of my recipes I find Google much easier. WordPress just never produces a great search window and you literally have to type in an exact recipe. But the good news is we're actually going to be working on recipe indexes and most popular recipes across a bunch of categories coming up soon. So that'll be ready for you guys for January. But in the meantime that's what I find the easiest thing. So if you're sort of having a a look and thinking I want to you know, do something interesting over the holidays and cook with my kids or try a new recipe, then that's my favourite way to do that. Today, we have a really great uh, podcast. It's with a wonderful naturopath with decades of experience, Francesca Nash. And she founded the Jocelyn Centre, which is a a clinic that supports um, women and couples on their fertility journeys and through any kind of hormonal experience. It could be menopause, could be fertility troubleshooting, could be getting ready, so the preconception phase. And I've actually got a great interview with her as well in our Preconception Ninja course. If that's not something you've checked out and you're thinking about babies soon or you're going to have another one soon and you're wanting to really prepare as best possible, then definitely check out Preconception Ninja. I'll pop it in the show notes. Um, But today we're actually talking about the opposite. We're talking about not getting pregnant and doing that naturally. So we're actually talking about natural contraception, getting to know your body. We're talking about charting, temperatures, ovulation, all these sorts of things and how even if you've got an irregular cycle, this is something that you can do. So um, the reason I've put this interview on is because lots of you guys have given me feedback that you would like to hear an expert speak on this topic and in trying to find someone who was really really well versed and had been helping couples with this for decades I happened upon Francesca and wow she is just wonderful and I know you guys are going to absolutely adore her so that interview is happening in just a few minutes. I just wanted to remind you that throughout the whole of December, you guys have 10% off at Nourished Life. I've got those beautiful packs that I've made up across um, all of my favorite face products, all my favorite reusables, all of my favorite... Kids products and my favorite cleaning products. Uh, so if you know you've got relatives saying, What do you want? What do you want? You literally send one of the links to one of those packs and I've got the links in the show notes and you can say, This is what I want, and by the way, this is the code you can use to get 10% off. What relative is not going to love you for that in the lead up to Christmas, if uh, that's something you're celebrating. Or just, you know, send them a single product. It's not just the packs that you get 10% off. It's the entire website. So if there's a beautiful wellness cookbook that you're after or a gorgeous sleep mask, um, some beautiful underwear, beeswax candles. I mean, there is just there are so many gorgeous things you can get on the Nourished Life website that, um, that you will be spoilt for choice. So enjoy that 10% off. And of course, ranged on nourished Life is a low sunscreen that I'm talking about this month, a wonderful small Australian-run business who are doing great things in producing a sunscreen that we might actually want to spread on our bodies without getting um, the proverbial poops. because it's thick or because it smells bad or because it's oily or, you know, all the things that people complain about with um, some of those earlier days uh, low-tox sunscreens. The textures are just getting better and better. Green chemistry is, you know, has come leaps and bounds. And and the Little Urchin sunscreen, SPF 30 and three-hour sun resistance, so you don't need to run after your child every half hour to reapply, It's a really good sunscreen and they have two other products in their range. Um, They have a tinted moisturiser also with an SPF 30. That's something I know lots of you are always looking for and I find a combination of popping that on over maybe a light lotion if you need a bit of extra hydration and then over the top of that a really nice light mineral foundation. Um, You've got incredible coverage and it just stays and stays and then you're protecting your face from sun damage throughout the day. And then they've got a regular moisturiser as well. All of the products are gorgeous. You could almost use the moisturiser as a bit of an after-sun situation to rehydrate the skin after a big day out at the beach, which so many people down in the Southern Hemisphere are doing now. And the awesome thing is, is that all you have to do is type free urchin in the comments box, so not the same box as you would put your 10% um, code that you have in today's show notes for the lotox for the nourished life website. This is in addition. All you have to do is buy the sunscreen, one tube, buy a tube of the tinted moisturizer, and then you receive the daily moisturizer for free. Worth $24.95. So that's a really amazingly generous offer from them. And they're all products we're going to be using over the summertime for anyone who's down this end of the uh, the world. Um, So make the most of all of those offers and all of the details, as per usual, are in the show notes. So without further ado, if you're up for the idea of starting to um, either come off the pill uh, or any other form of um, formal um, medical contraception you might be on, or if you're wanting to um, even just stop feeling that you have to use condoms every single day of the month and you want to intelligently prevent conception with your partner, then this is absolutely the episode for you. But I mean, even if and you're literally just wanting some advice on coming off the pill and what nutrients you might need uh, to rebuild your body after that experience and you're, not, and you, you're happy to move on to condoms of you're not really interested in charting and temperatures and all that kind of stuff, it's still an amazing episode because Francesca actually – generously spends a lot of time talking about what the negative aspects of the pill are what it does to deplete nutrients inside us and um, what we can do once we come off the pill to mitigate some of that damage done and rebuild the nutrient levels in our bodies it's just such a fantastic uh, wealth of knowledge that's shared with us today and i hope you enjoy it hello francesca how are you
1: Hello Alex, I am very well today.
0: That's good and I am so excited to have you on the show because I recently did a listener survey I said, what do you guys want us to bring you on the podcast and you will not believe how many women who are in our listenership said, natural contraception, I want to know how to get off what I'm on because it's not making me feel good and I want to know how to actually do this naturally. So... There we went, trawling the internet, and and lo and behold, uh, through several practitioner friends as well, your name just kept coming up and up and up, and you've been at this for decades with couples, so it was just such an exciting thing to reach out and to have you have the time to join us on the show. So, firstly, welcome... Um, and Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. And secondly, for anyone who hasn't heard of you before, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your career journey and, and how, uh, as a naturopath, you then came to become so passionate specifically about women's health and fertility and natural contraception.
1: Well, I suppose it started with my own needs, really. Um, I arrived in Australia from the UK in 1974, Um, And you can tell from that, that I'm fairly ancient, but I'm doing well. (laughs) Uh, And this was a time of a lot of interest into alternative health. And certainly in the UK, I'd got very involved in the whole alternative health field. I'd just left a career in computers. I was having a career in theater. Um, But then I moved into studying with a holistic doctor and managing a health food shop and getting more and more interested in alternative health issues which was, you know, big in the 70s. It was the big sort of breakthrough time that everybody had there. Um, And then I came to Australia, having researched quite a lot of alternatives to the oral contraception pill for my own contraception because I wasn't happy just like your listeners weren't happy, I wasn't happy Mm. on what it was um, doing for me. In fact I wasn't on it anymore and I needed something to replace it with. So i had done quite a lot of research into my own needs Um, and when I arrived in Australia I opened up a practice in natural contraception, that was how it all started. Um, and I started the first holistic health center in Australia called the Village Healing and Growth Center, which also started up the Paddington Bazaars and that whole community movement around oh, wow. the church, church in Oxford yeah. Street.
0: Mm. There I was, so buying we called- my my beautiful handmade jewellery, having absolutely no idea who was behind it all. So thank you. There you go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it was a craft market to begin with. It's not quite that like that anymore. It's obviously much more commercial now, but mm. so that's how it started. And we had the Village Healing and Growth Centre in one of the lovely old village building, uh, church buildings around there with all, all sorts of different practitioners, uh, acupuncturists and so on and I suppose I just had increasing interest in the fascinating workings of the female reproductive health system Mm -hmm. it's just endless you just go on finding out more and more and more and I wrote the first, my first book. Well, I wrote a book called *The Lunar Cycle*, and we might talk a little bit about that later on. But that was a fairly small deal. And then I wrote a a fairly big one called *Natural Fertility*, which became a bit of a bestseller. Just looking at how I put all of these natural things together for contraception, Mm. and um, and that really started taking over the the centre. And so I started my own clinic which was just based on fertility conception and contraception called the Jocelyn Center which is where we are now Um, and it's called the Jocelyn Center because it was financed by the money that I inherited from my mother Jocelyn.
0: Oh how beautiful.
1: Yes so it's a generational thing Mm, right. A legacy. Um, Yes a legacy absolutely yeah and then increasing interest in preconception health care and the chance to change generational health um, which we can talk about at another time, um, led me to writing a whole lot of other books, um, the Better Babies series, training a lot of practitioners in contraception and conception and preconception and fertility issues. And it just sort of, you know, every step you take leads to another step and there you
0: go and there you are. Oh, I, I so hear you. <laughs> I was, you know, <laughs> it, it's just, it's that little stone unturned that, you turn over and then you wow, oh wow, there's all of this as well and it's um never ends. Um okay, so there are obviously many forms of contraception and as I said at the start, there are a lot of people who just aren't happy with the current forms that they're on. As a naturopath, with what you've seen in clinic over the decades of women on things like the birth control pill or even in your own experience, IUDs, etc., what emerged as your biggest concerns around these forms of contraception?
1: Yes, well, let's start off with the pill because a lot of people think that's what contraception means. When Mm. I have on my questionnaire, are you using contraception? And people write no. And then I say, well, it's a bit silly because you're sexually active. Maybe you should be. And they say, oh, we are. We're doing withdrawal. We're doing condoms. We're doing this. And they think the question is simply about whether they're on the pill. Ah. So there's this big sort of identification. Contraception equals the pill, you know, and it Mm. doesn't. Mm but let's have a bit of a chat about the pill you know because i think there are some fairly big problems with the pill that i've obviously come across in many decades of practice and i think as your patient as your as your people are finding out you know and my patients find out they they're not happy often it is in fact the greatest intake of a drug ever known you know it, there's more people taking the pill than any other drug um, and of course, it basically, it's putting people into a sort of never-ending pregnancy with pretend periods because there is—it isn't a period when you're on the pill; it's just a withdrawal bleed every 28 days, which actually isn't a statistical average for a menstrual cycle, which is 29 and a half, the same as a lunar month, but uh, 28 oh. days more convenient. <laughs> <So>
0: <laughs> more convenient been, for creating the little yeah. boxes. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's right. <laughs> So it was the pill that put us on into 28 days. Now everybody thinks they're supposed to be on 28 days. 28 days is fine. 29 and a half is actually a statistical average for a cycle. Uh-huh. Mm. I think one of the biggest problems for me um, are the nutritional deficiencies that are a result of being on the pill. Um, vitamin A is very disrupted. I mean, I'm just going to go through a few examples because yeah, there is whole-scale nutritional. Um, disarray when you're on the pill which is of course something that leads on to all sorts of other problems it's a cascade so a situation the, yeah it is, it is absolutely a cascade situation so a lot of the problems that are identified through maybe studies and so on as being problems um, resulting from being on the pill are actually um, the source of this is very often the nutritional deficiencies that are mm. result Right. Mm. So, just a few examples. Vitamin A is very disrupted and beta carotene is lowered. Now, vitamin A is important for, you know, so many different things. Vitamin A is called retinol because, of course, it's very important for eyesight and so on, healthy functioning of the eyes. But also the immune system, the skin integrity, appetite, vigor, teeth, gums, heavy menstrual bleeding can be a result. All sorts of things are happening. It's an important antioxidant, it's an anti-cancer vitamin. Um, We often give it as mixed carotenoids so your body converts to vitamin A as required because of course there is such a thing as vitamin A toxicity but that's very rare. Vitamin A deficiency is a much more um, likely and problematic issue. Then we get the whole B-complex, especially folate. Now, everybody is at least aware of folate. They often don't know it's one of the B vitamins and needs to be taken with B vitamins. Um, But folate is responsible for more, well, there's two nutrients that are responsible for more things happening in your body than any others, and that's folate and zinc. Right, Yes. Both incredibly affected by being on the pill. Um, So the B vitamins, of course, that's your energy levels, all sorts of problems with vague aches and pains, weight loss, depression, irritability, lack of energy, uh, all sorts of things and then um, leading into sugar cravings and other metabolic problems. So all the B vitamins, including folate, are affected when you're on the pill and of course they work in conjunction with each other. Vitamin vitamin C um, increased breakdown of vitamin C, leading to reduction of that. Well, of course, vitamin C is important for so much as an antioxidant and mm. your immune system, and so on and so on. Um, and we need all the antioxidants we can get in this world with its high toxicity levels.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, if
1: we're, mm, so we're going to decrease our, you know, vitamin A, our vitamin C, and our vitamin E increased need of that and it affects estrogen metabolism as well. So you can see there's all these big connections going on through the pill, the hormones and the nutrients because vitamin C and vitamin E are actually needed to create hormones, for example.
2: Yeah. Well, if
1: you are taking vitamin C and you're on the pill and then you stop taking vitamin C because the vitamin C increases the effect of the pill, when you stop it, your body can Assume that you have less pill, and you may start to ovulate, and then the whole thing isn't going to work for contraception.
0: <gasps> wow! They don't put that on yes. the brochure. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be the first any like a lot of people have ever heard of that. That's uh, that's quite yeah. big too. Okay. And
1: then another antioxidant, which of course is, uh, I mean, our antioxidants are so important in the present toxic world that we live in the next antioxidant which also is associated with estrogen metabolism is vitamin e and there's an increased need for that when you're on the pill mm-hmm. um, two of the nutrients that are actually greater when you're on the pill are perhaps not so helpful and that's iron because you're not bleeding so much and copper oh. uh, and, mm, and they are more easily absorbed when you're on the pill uh, they both interfere with your absorption of zinc. And zinc is our most common deficiency. The last national survey found it to be deficient in something like 80% of our population. Mm. And it is, it is a hugely important nutrient. One of the biochemists at Reading University in the 1950s said that if a new um, drug had been discovered with all the qualities of zinc, it would have been hailed as the discovery of the century. Um, <laughs> but of course... It's just a humble little nutrient, and nobody can patent it. So no, it doesn't really or get you a, could just so much
0: yeah, you could just eat a damn oyster. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Can I and, ask, Francesca? Hmm, in, yeah. in the event that you might have come across any of this, but the the things you're rattling off as um, deficiencies that occur and excesses that occur when we yeah, um, yeah. embark upon long-term pill taking uh, yeah. seem to be pointing to a lot of. Uh, deficiencies illnesses slash problems that we're having in our 30s and 40s as women is there a study that has started to link these sorts of things to pill intake or are we not there yet
1: well no we're not really there yet we do have studies showing increased problems in certain areas but not a lot of linking that goes on to show that it could be the nutritional deficiencies that cause it.
2: Mm. These
1: links can obviously be made quite easily by seeing what the problems are and knowing how your nutrients work um, so one of the biggest problems, of course, is, the, is if conception happens soon after the pill, and there are studies showing that if conception happens soon after stopping the pill, within those few months afterwards, there are increased problems with the pregnancy and the baby. That's very clear.
0: Mm, gosh. And again, not on the brochure, right? Mm. Well,
1: no. Mm. It, no, it wouldn't be. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And one other nutrient that I just want to mention is magnesium, which is dropped when you're on the pill. And of course, magnesium um, deficiency increases all those PMS symptoms that everybody notices whether they're on the pill or not, um, because it normally drops at the end of your cycle anyway, and mm-hmm. it's increased when you're on the pill. And that, of course, is another one that's very important for a pregnancy.
2: Yeah.
1: So this is a particular issue if conception happens within the first few months after going off the pill, particularly, but I would say I generally recommend that people wait six months after coming off the pill before they before they conceive,
0: mm. because and the I'd, residue can take that long to eliminate. Mm. And I'd imagine you would also need to take that amount of time to build up your stores again, because otherwise your baby's going to be zapping them all out of you as they grow.
1: Absolutely. Mm. I mean, preconception health care, which we can talk about another time, is um, for at least four months because that's how long it takes eggs to develop and mature and sperm to generate. So you're always looking at four months, but there is evidence that it can take up to six to eliminate the the effects of the pill out of your system. So a bit of a healthy gap between pill use and conception is really important. Because those are the other problems, problems with fertility, pregnancy and fetal health. There's evidence of increased birth defects with people conceived while they're on the pill or too soon after. And that may be very well to do with the reduction in folate because, of course, we all know that folic acid, the the synthetic form of folate, is particularly important to avoid any kind of neural tube defects like spina bifida. Mm. Everybody's told to take folic acid at least. Um, There's also level... um, a higher level of stillbirths and miscarriages and congenital alf- uh, abnormalities if the pill has been present for, um, if, if you've been off the pill for less than a month.
2: Mm. Wow.
1: And an increase of gestational diabetes. So, you know, all of these things do carry through to the next stage of a lot of people's lives. Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, and so uh, is that primarily the one you're, you're most concerned with in terms of... Um, uh, medical intervention, uh, contraception, or are there others that concern you in terms of things you see present in clinic?
1: Oh yes, there are other things. Are we still talking about the pill? have uh, got other things to say. <laughs> you, can so go go
0: for as, you can go on for it as long <laughs> as you like. We've got all afternoon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, my, one of my particular
1: bugs is the use during lactation, which, of course, has nutritional and hormonal effects on the baby during, um, during lactation. So uh, a lot of people are put on the mini pill during lactation, and that's not necessary. We can use natural contraception very easily during, during breastfeeding.
0: Yeah. Wow. I didn't even mm. know that was an option or a, something that was recommended by convention. Mm. Oh,
1: yes. Absolutely, You know, most people get told that that's the easiest way to manage their contraception while they're breastfeeding.
0: Wow. that's um, and, and power to the people who just get straight back on the saddle <laughs> straight after having a baby. That was the furthest <laughs> thing from my mind, if I think back. Yes, um. yes,
1: I, I think. Generally, you need a bit of a rest.
2: <laughs> oh, Physically and mentally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> Want to know a few more things, yes, a, few more, a few more worries? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a link to blood sugar disturbances and diabetes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a very interesting one, which is to do with your sense of smell. Oh. When you're on the pill, your sense of smell is changed. Now, the interesting thing about this is that you generally choose a mate that has a different smell to you because that indicates they have a different immune system. And that allows your child to inherit a wider range of immune Um, efficiencies Uh, when you're on the pill this is disturbed and you'll often choose a mate with the same immune system as you and then when you go off the pill to try and conceive you, you aren't attracted anymore because they don't smell right so there's all sorts of problems going on with
0: the sense of smell and the pill that is such a massive bombshell. What it how can, oh, yes. how can we read more about this? Can you send me a couple of links on this topic for anyone who wants to nerd out on I'll that i I'll try a bit and further? find it. I'll yes, try and please. find it
1: for you. It's something I've known about for such a long time that mm. I'm I'm not sure where I've put all the info, but I'll try and find it for you. Yes, it's it's sort of funny, but sort of not. <laughs> mm,
0: yeah. Well, I often wonder with synthetic fragrances whether they disturb, mm. you know, finding the, the, the right mate um, because. Well, sure, yes. Yeah. You know. yeah. Anyway.
1: And, and not only that, but of course they're mostly highly toxic, aren't they? Well, yes. Yeah. yeah there's
0: that. I mean, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to go into that today, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A whole nother yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so what else have you got on the pill? Let's just get all the dirt okay. because then we know exactly okay. how much we want to move away from this thing.
1: Okay, well, very clear links to depression and mood disorders.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, very clear links to headaches and migraines.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Very clear links to reduced libido. The joke here is, here is that it's how it works because you actually don't want to have sex when you're on the pill. But of course, not everybody has all of these problems, but... Mm. Mm. Uh, weight gain, higher risk of some cancers like breast cancer and brittle bones and a very general increase in inflammation. Right. And then, of course, um, look, you can, you can read more about this in either my book or, or my colleague Jane Bennett's book, The Pill, Are You Sure It's For You? Mm-hmm. Um, after going off the pill, of course, there's a whole lot of other things because we've often got increased hormonal imbalances and irregular cycles. Many of them may be quite anovular. That means that you get a bleed, but you don't actually ovulate. So, of course, it's not really a period or a real cycle, a bit Mm -hmm. more like what you had when you were on the pill. Um, for some women of course there is actually a lack of periods for for quite a considerable time after coming off the pill Mm. and if they do get their cycle back there's probability of increased symptoms like PMS, dysmenorrhea, that's painful periods and and often reduced mucus production and of course um, the mucus is so important as part of either conceiving or being able to tell when you're fertile for natural contraception. Mm. And these Problems are greater if the woman was irregular before she started the pill, if she's lightweight, or she had a, a, a late puberty. Um, so, quite a quite a, a quite a number of concerns for people yeah. who think
0: that. Mm, Absolutely, I mean, it, to share a personal story, I was I didn't get a period for about a year and a half when I came off the pill when I was, I think I was about twenty six, um, and. Uh, I was, I had a whole bunch of tests, no one could figure out what was going on, I was told by my GP at the time that I had to prepare myself for the fact that this might be early onset menopause and it was actually one of the two things that made me think outside the box and find a naturopath who who got me back in the swing of things in a couple of months on a herbal program, which was just, I mean, that was my mind blown. Oh, my gosh, there's this whole other way we can do things to support the body's natural processes. and um, yeah. yeah, and I just, yeah, I just, I, I just pray that other people find that out-of-the-box thinking themselves on their own journeys who aren't necessarily attuned to things like these podcasts and, and holistic health in general because it just makes me so sad to think that that's, oh, okay, well, that's the end of the road for me. I'll have... I'll I'll just be sad about that for a while and then move on. I mean, you know, that's that's what people are, are experiencing uh, out a, that's there. A, that's a terrible
1: story, but unfortunately, not that unusual. I mean, I do have many patients who come to me with a similar stories to yours.
2: Mm.
1: And of course, um, saying that you're going into premature menopause, that should have been easily discounted by doing a few simple hormonal checks. Exactly. Um, and that was just frightening you for no reason. Yeah. Um, yeah so. You know, it's it's very common that people do have a, a very different experience when they come off the pill one way or another.
2: Mm.
1: Yours was quite horrible and a lot of people would share that and it can get worse than that. And, and of course, for some people, it's actually fine. They come yeah. off the pill and things resume fairly normally. I mean, it's not everybody that has these problems. It's just that you need to be aware that you've got risk factors here.
0: Yeah, mm. that's right. Okay, well, now that we're all um, feeling really bad about the pill, what else (laughs) else should we talk about? (laughs) Right, well,
1: of course, there are lots of other ways of hormones being delivered to you other than the pill. There are all the implants and and all of those things. And some of those have greater problems because the implants aren't easily reversed. And then, you know, you you might be having problems, but it's more difficult to get out at the other end. Um, So... And um, other possible problems arising with things like IUDs or IUSs, the systems that include, you know, the IUDs that have additional hormonal activity, usually progesterone. Mm-hmm. The first thing for people to realize about an IUD or an IUS is it's not actually a contraceptive. It's an abortifacient because it does actually prevent a fertilized egg implanting, whereas the pill does prevent that at a at a higher level, it prevents the fertilisation and the egg production. But with the I D or the I U S, you're actually producing an egg it's fertilising, but it can't implant in the uterus because the uterus is too irritated and inflamed to accept it. Mm. Um, so of course that means that then the problems are things like painful periods and excessive bleeding, and a fairly big risk of pelvic inflammatory disease because the perforated endometrium is more susceptible to infection. And the infection can sometimes climb up that little string that's often attached to an IUD.
2: Oh, goodness. And then if
1: the... Uh, yes, I know. So PID can be a, a, a... Pelvic inflammatory disease, that is, can be a, a bit of a higher risk with IUDs. Mm-hmm. In fact, IUDs are not medically so popular anymore. You know, doctors don't tend to um, prescribe IUDs for contraception nearly as much as they used to mm. because of problems. Uh, and if they're made of copper, then that also um, leads to decreased zinc, because copper and zinc um,
0: symbiotic. Copper, yeah.
1: Mm. yeah. Copper copper reduces your zinc, basically. Mm. Yes, and that leads to more inflammation and and lowered immunity. So again, a higher risk factor for the for the inflammation and the infection.
2: Mm.
1: And then. Be- Because of the heavy bleed, there's obviously a higher risk of anemia and reduced immunity with the zinc, and there's possibly cervical damage at insertion or removal. And then if you do conceive, because, of course, no contraception method is 100% except complete abstinence, um, there's a greater chance of an ectopic pregnancy in the tubes because your uterus isn't um, accepting the baby, so it goes somewhere else
2: and a greater
1: incidence of miscarriage and even of greater incidence of uterine cancer. So there are problems, and they're generally medically more recognized than those on the pill. So less people get prescribed IUDs, but uh, for some people, they think it's a good alternative to the pill, and and for some people, it may be, but um, it certainly has its risk factors. Mm. Although um, the ones that produce progesterone can be useful (coughs) sometimes where people have... um, ongoing endometriosis that hasn't responded to any treatments i mean we we generally have quite successful treating endometriosis but the ones that release progesterone into the body can be helpful if nothing else has worked to increase progesterone and reduce endo so that's one of the few times when an iud might be useful but Mm. hopefully people would be treated well before they get to that point Mm.
0: yeah and are those the two main ones or is there another one that you want to throw in the mix
1: Well the barrier methods are actually quite useful because you can combine them with natural contraception methods because once you're doing natural contraception you only find out when you're fertile you've still got to do something about being fertile of course. Yes. And you know abstinence is one possibility but not appropriate for everybody (laughs) so use (laughs) use of condoms and diaphragms can be very effective in those situations and and generally, if you know when you're fertile, you only have to use them in a few days each month, and so the the nuisance factor is is nicely reduced, and mm. um, and you can have uh, some alternatives which yeah. which be quite helpful. Yeah. Cool.
0: So let's on that note, um, yeah. before we sort of hook straight into talking about natural contraception and how we can um, start to use that to our advantage, let's just um, speak a little bit about women coming off these um, birth control methods such as the pill or an RUD and what is is your favourite way to ensure that someone does that successfully and sort of, I guess, rehabilitates their body really, like really gets strong again um, and healthy again?
1: Well... Obviously, I've talked a lot about nutrients that are deficient on the pill. So obviously, one of the first things that you need to do is to get back on a really good nutritional program. Yeah. And the best way to do that really is to see somebody, see a naturopath who can who can advise you on that. I do give some advice in my book about, you know, things, but everybody is a little bit different. Mm. Um, so a really comprehensive supplementation of nutrients to get all of those things back into your body that are missing is number one.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, If the hormones are wacky, then herbs are brilliant. Herbs really, really work well for hormonal stuff. And you actually, uh, in your story, were saying how, you know, you went to a naturopath and Mm. you used herbs and it... Mm. So herbs are brilliant for getting the hormones back in some kind of uh, regular pattern and also for restoring the uterine health and ovarian function and your mucus membranes so that you're actually producing the mucus that you need to be able to monitor for your natural contraception. Mm. (laughs) So herbs, antioxidants, nutritional support, herbs and antioxidants for detoxing, getting rid of the... Um, pill out of your system, good liver support there for phase one and phase two liver detox. Um I think seeing a good naturopath is the best way to deal with this, but there are some self-help ideas in my book and elsewhere that people can find as well.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. And so when it comes to natural contraception, um, one of the first things I came across uh, in sort of doing my prep work for my interviews, which I love to do, uh, is uh, you had a, a small book on astrological fertility control. I just thought that sounded like the funkiest thing. Um, <laughs> and it, basically it's it's really connecting cool. ourselves with the lunar cycle is that right is it- Yes.
1: Yes. It's not really astrological. Mm. It's just to do with lunar cycles and biorhythms.
0: Yes. And it's, it's very
1: much a secondary consideration with your fertility. But the original research in the 1950s and 60s was quite interesting in that there does seem to be this link between this personal biorhythm that starts at the point in the lunar month that you're born at. So say you're born at full moon, then every full moon, yeah. Um, where there is an increased tendency for the woman to have what's called a spontaneous ovulation which can be quite different from your normal ovulation. And it's what rabbits and cats do all the time. They release an egg um, when they have intercourse. So they have a lot of offspring because they get pregnant all the time. Mm. Um, Humans don't rely on this. We generally have an ovulation regardless of sexual activity. I mean, there can be some linkage, but mainly we just um, have a regular cycle as long as everything's functioning properly without the need for sexual activity. But um, there are studies that show that when people do have, when women do have sexual stimulation, that some women will release an extra egg. It's called a spontaneous ovulation. I mean, it can be noted in laboratory situations <laughs> by placing electrodes over the ovaries because we we give off a power surge at ovulation.
2: Wow!
0: i I just like I had the funniest thought. Then I'm like, it's like our bodies go, "Oh, go on then. Let's let's chuck another yep. one in the mix." Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: right. That's exactly right. That's what's happening. Yeah. Uh, let's be like a cat and a rabbit. <laughs> Um, So, yes, and this can be also monitored um, on ultrasound. And it's very often with people with PCOS, for example, where they've got very long cycles, um, you can see these um, extra activities of ovarian activity happening at different times in the cycle. And we've um, monitored this spontaneous ovulation capacity as well as the original research, which you can read about in some of my books, um, which was quite convincing when it was combined with the rhythm method, which was all that was available in those days, and the success rate contraception wise went up from about. 60% if you're lucky on rhythm up to 98% on a couple of really big studies just by observing this extra time and we've noted it over the years you know we see it as something with a lot of questions still about it but we have noted um, over the years a lot of anecdotal information that we find quite convincing so we do take it into account because we've had many people who've um, conceived when it 's apparently impossible for them to do that right in the middle of a period or when we know that their temperatures their body at rest temperature's coming down and they 're about to ovulate and it shoots up again and they 're pregnant i 've had one woman conceive within three weeks of childbirth she wasn 't very happy
0: oh goodness
1: no that wasn 't much fun for her, but these are um, times that we 've noted um, over the many years that we 've been using this where people do get these conceptions. And um, the doctor says, no, you couldn't possibly have conceived on, on that day. And the woman says, well, that's the only day we had sex, you know, and he says, no, no, you've remembered it wrong. And says, no, but really haven't. <laughs>
2: um,
1: <laughs> and so we've charted these and we've, and apart from the original studies, we have found out that some women do release an extra egg under certain conditions. It doesn't happen very often, but it happens often enough um, for us to be interested in using it as an adjunct to the other aspects of natural contraception, which are more about observing your normal body signs and so on.
0: Right. And what are some of those body signs? Ah, well, it's
1: wonderful, really, because the body is absolutely incredible. It shows you very, very clearly what's going on at all times. Mm. Um, you get amazing and clear signs of fertility and they're there to be observed, noted and acted upon whether you're trying to conceive or not to conceive. And the first one, of course, is our cervical mucus. Mm-hmm. There are all these little crypts in the cervix that produce mucus um, and the mucus is produced as a result of the oestrogen peak that happens as you head up towards ovulation. Yeah. So the oestrogen peak allows your cervix to create the mucus The mucus allows the sperm to survive. The estrogen peak triggers your pituitary to send down the message, the LH hormone, to get your ovary to release the egg. So everything is exquisitely timed for egg and sperm to arrive at the right place in a nice uh, healthy vagina that's covered in mucus to allow the sperm to survive because, of course, the vagina is normally quite acidic and kills sperm. Um, But at this time, everything is absolutely at the right place, at the right time, to allow sperm and egg to get together. So if you want to conceive, this is terrific.
2: Mm. And if you don't
1: want to conceive, then all you need to do is to be able to see this sign that the mucus gives you that you are leading towards an ovulation, that your vagina is becoming receptive to sperm and will protect them from the normal acidity that kills them, and that if you don't take some measures of one kind or another, then you will very likely have a conception
0: mm. so and the mucus
1: can i just ask mm, tells us that we're about to ovulate yep
0: um the, of if, so if your estrogen doesn't rise is that why some women don't get that mucus
1: well the mucus is very dependent on estrogen and mm. very dependent on some nutrients like calcium and magnesium mm-hmm. um so it can be a nutritional thing but basically it's a hormonal effect yes
2: yes yeah.
1: And so the mucus is one of the external signs that the oestrogen is building up and the oestrogen build-up is what triggers the ovulation. Yeah. So it all happens, you know, as a little in concert to provide a a fertile period which you can either take advantage of or avoid.
0: Mm. And it's funny, like it's such a natural process really and we're all... Um, experiencing this every month as women, Um, for the blokes out there listening, you're very brave, A, today, but um, B, uh, for women, we also just don't talk about it. And I still remember being in my rehab phase of coming off the pill and working with my naturopath and and her saying, so are you seeing any mucus? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about and that's kind of rude. And then she said, you're just kind of like egg white. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, like, and I was so out of tune with anything that might be going on down there monthly, other than, oh, I've got a period and I've got to deal with it, and then you move on each month, that I just yeah. wasn't, I didn't, I didn't know about those signs. So it was, um, yeah, it was really interesting, well, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, my colleague, Jane Bennett, who wrote the book on the pill that I mentioned earlier, she has programs that teach all about menstrual awareness and um, body awareness, um, cycle awareness to, um, young girls, in, mm. either with their mothers or on their own, and we're getting this through into schools and, and through private workshops and so on, so gradually the message can get through, but you're quite right, most people don't have much idea, and, and most people, a lot of people don't even want to know, you know, so they, they don't want to know what's going on in their genital area, mm. but really, it's just another part of your body, and you need to find out what's going on in order to have control over it. Exactly. Mm.
0: You can't feel empowered unless you have the knowledge. No that's quite right. Mm. So the mucus is the main thing that tells you that you are about to ovulate.
1: It also dies away to tell you that you've probably finished ovulating but it doesn't tell you that you actually have ovulated. It just tells you that your body's preparing it, you probably will be ovulating. But when you want to know that you definitely have ovulated and it's all over, Mm -hmm. then the temperature, the body at rest temperature can be very useful, especially in those learning months when people are trying to find out what their patterns are like.
0: Yeah. And how many months would you recommend we used as learning months and and kept the condoms on and all the things just as our protectives all throughout while we are doing the learning Um, but we've come off the nasties? How long does it take someone to start to see some patterns?
1: Well, I usually say somewhere between three to six months. Three Mm. for most people and six for some other people who are having maybe a bit more problem with, with regularity or whatever. Because these signs are monitorable whether you're regular or not. You don't have to have a regular cycle. You can always tell that you're fertile by looking at what's happening in your body. If it happens on a regular pattern, obviously, it's a lot easier to learn that particular pattern and what it's like for you. Mm. Whereas if you're a bit more irregular, it might take you a little bit longer. So mostly, within three cycles, people have got a pretty clear idea of what's going on. Wow. Then, then they might find that they need to write down less and less as they learn a bit more about what's going on for them. Yep.
0: Yeah, cool. And so does that mean for people with PCOS that even they can work with this natural contraceptive method?
1: Absolutely. Mm. Your indicators of your mucus and your body at rest temperature, which is useful for the learning months particularly, or if you've got any questions about what's going on, because it does tell you, yes, you've ovulated, um, then, and you know, it's all over, because, of course, once you've finished ovulating, the egg only lasts about 12, 12 to 24 hours. So once you've ovulated, it's all, it's all over, unless you've got one of these spontaneous ovulation times coming at a different point in the cycle.
2: Right.
1: Um, but yes, if it's irregular, then the mucus signs and the temperature signs and anything else that you're looking for, any of the secondary symptoms that you might be invested in, these all can tell you what's going on, whether it happens in a nice regular pattern or whether it takes... Um, a fair bit longer to come back into a, a normal cycle. Right. So people with PCOS or other irregularities can use these methods. It just may take them a little bit longer to feel comfortable because they haven't got this nice recurring pattern that they can, you know, clock onto quite quite easily and quite quickly.
0: Yeah. And do we need to have a specific type of thermometer and do we need to take our temperature in a specific Place in our body, or can you just do the under the armpit, or one of those ones that you stick on your temple? It's better to do it under the tongue, actually. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: So the, the the ovulation thermometers generally have a, a wider spacing on the degrees, so you can see smaller changes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they're better taken under the tongue. Um, I think there's a bit of a male conspiracy going on to say you've got to do it in the vagina, but that's
2: not true. <laughs> <laughs> Here,
1: let me help you, honey.
2: Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it's a,
1: it's a, it's a different reading in the vagina, so you don't want to mix and match because you'll get a, a graph that goes all over the place.
0: Oh, no, 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 so, we don't yes, want that. No.
1: Okay. No. Good. It's under the tongue and it's first thing in the morning before you get out of bed because it's the body at rest temperature that you're measuring. Once you start getting up and getting active, all sorts of things happen to your temperature which can change it. And
0: what, so is, the the normal, what mm-hmm. is the body at rest? What is the body at rest temperature that we want to see or is it about finding our individual one and its variations well
1: no because in fact if it's too low it'll indicate problems so Mm, one of of the other amazing things is that if you start charting all of this stuff you learn a whole lot of stuff about your body and your health your general and your reproductive health because if your if your basal or body at rest temperature is too low you may well have a thyroid problem for example Um, And if it doesn't go up beautifully after you've ovulated and stay up for long enough, about two weeks, you've probably got a progesterone problem. Mm. So you learn a whole lot from charting these things, which, of course, you don't have to go on doing forever. But when you're learning about your body, you're learning not only how to tell when you're fertile and how to avoid fertile times, but you're also learning about some other problems which may be there and that you can do something about. So the charting of mucus and temperature um, when we get people to actually chart it for the first few months and then gradually you find that you learn more about what's going on. You don't need to write it down or chart it and you can really just feel um, that you know what's going on. Just like, you know, when you've got a cold, really, it's just part of your body awareness after a while. It's really quite
0: simple. So really the whole temperature charting thing is something we would all benefit from regardless of where, whether we're doing it for contraception purposes or not.
1: Well you can learn a lot by charting all of these symptoms but most people who are using these methods for contraception start off charting everything so they're learning what they can find out where and then gradually they'll say well I don't need that anymore I've learned that and I don't need that anymore either and by the end of six months or more most people will say well you know I just know what's going on in my body I know when I'm fertile I know what my mucus is doing I can feel it I can get it on my finger or I can just feel how I walk around and I know what's happening and I know when I'm fertile and I know what to do about it.
0: Wow. And so in terms of the fertility window, should we kind of also allow for another day or two either side just to be super safe? Well, it takes
1: sperm about... Um, sperm have a, have a working life of about three days. They have been known to live a bit longer, up to about five days, but they're generally a bit geriatric by then and not up to much. Mm. So uh, after three days, um, there aren't really enough of them around either because you need more than one sperm. You need millions of sperm for a yeah. conception. Yeah. So the working life for a sperm is about three days. Mm. Now, the sperm can't survive in your vagina until you've got good mucus because your vagina is naturally acidic. Um, so it's like you've got a natural spermicide in your vagina mm-hmm. and the mucus will change from being very thick and dense and pluggy and that will actually clog up the cervix like a natural diaphragm
2: mm-hmm.
1: until the oestrogen starts to rise. So in the first half of your cycle, for, well the first week or so, uh, after you've finished bleeding you start um, a different mucus pattern which is in fact more like a contraception pattern you've got an acidic vagina you've got a plug across the cervix your body's basically saying haven't got any use for you sperm i'm not going to let you in
2: yeah
1: um then as the estrogen starts to pick up towards ovulation then the mucus changes and becomes more um hospitable to the to the sperm um protects them from the acidity in the vagina. And when we get to the peak mucus just before ovulation, it doesn't just allow them in, it actively um, sucks them up basically. Yeah. So that it encourages the sperm up through the cervix and into the uterus. So if you're used to these changes in your mucus, from the thick, dense, pluggy type mucus to the wet, fertile mucus that allows them in, just fluid mucus, and then to this what you described before as the like the raw egg white, Mm -hmm. the stretchy, slimy mucus, which is your super fertile mucus. If every woman learns what her particular pattern of progressing through these changes of mucus is, she can have a very clear idea of when her body is actually hospitable to sperm, will protect the sperm and allow them in, and therefore when she can conceive. So it's just a question of becoming very aware of your particular pattern.
0: Wow. And what if there's no mucus at all? What if you can't actually see anything? What's going on in the body there? Is there that maybe
1: some up at the cervix that you're not actually finding with okay. your, your checks which are run more at the vaginal mouth. But mm-hmm. um, if there isn't any mucus then then you've got a fertility problem. I was yeah, just about
0: it... to say. So it's almost like mm-hmm. or have you got a deficiency problem that's telling your body <laughs> to not actually be hospitable to sperm because it's not the best time for you to actually create a baby.
1: Uh, Well, it could be due to various nutritional deficiencies, but that wouldn't necessarily create a complete absence Mm. of mucus. That's more likely to be a hormonal thing.
0: Right. Okay. Gosh, bodies are just amazing, aren't they? They really are. Yeah. And when you
1: were asking me why I got involved in all of this, I mean, mm. this is just the start. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is extraordinary. We, we have this absolutely exquisite timing in our bodies when all the right things come together at the right time to either allow conception or to inform you that you've got to do something to stop it if you don't want it.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, and so that's the time that you would then just use the condoms over those few days and, and know that you're... A-OK. Now those cases that you mentioned before where you have the little extra egg situation on like Yes. Do we need to be worried about being one of those statistics ourselves?
1: Well we do have a number of people over the years. I mean I've taught many um, health professionals about all of this stuff obviously um, and, and and many people that I've taught now actually teach their patients about it as well. Uh, there are also um, people like the Billings people who teach mucus um, method although they don't combine all this other stuff with it and they aren't naturopathically inclined so there's no treatments involved. We think it's quite important to bring together the mucus, the temperature, the biorhythms and then naturopathic treatment if there are any problems Mm. um, to combine into what we've always called natural fertility management uh, which is the name of our company of course. Um, So um, now, I've lost what we were
0: going to say. What were you talking about? <coughs> oh, no, that's okay. What was your question?
1: <laughs> what, was your, what was your
2: question?
0: Tangent factor. Your question. So, I oh, was right. talking about those statistics and how do we make... Well, I yes. guess you can never make absolutely sure you're not one of them, just like you can't well, make...
1: You can because you can you can draw up. Uh, we have a program that draws up when these lunar peaks recur for each woman. Mm. So if you do contraception with us or through one of our kits, you also get a, a, a calendar telling you when your personal lunar peak times are. And then you can slot that information into your cycle information and know that if it comes... And when you're normally ovulating and you've got one of these biorhythmic peaks, then the evidence from the studies originally done on this were that uh, fertility is enhanced. And if it comes at a different time, you may decide that you also need to use protection at that time. So if you do contraception through our company or through our clinic or through any of the people that I've trained, um, then you can or, or buy one of our kits, um, then you will get um, calculations that tell you when these other times are that you might have an additional ovulation. It's, a, it's, it's an optional extra, basically. Mm. Um, but we've had a lot of people over the years who've said, oh, no, no, I don't think there's much to that. And we admit those questions about why this works. You know, We come up with a few answers like we know it's connected Uh, You know, the lunar month is connected to various things that we know also affect ovarian function and so on. So there are possible reasons why it works, but we don't really got enough information um, to say exactly why why it should be an effect. And it's not an effect for everybody. Not everybody has this problem uh, or this issue. Um, but if you want to be really sure, then it's quite easy to get these times drawn up so that you know if they're outside of your normal fertile time, you take them into account as well. And we've got too many people on record who've said, oh no, I don't think much of that, not <laughs> going to take any notice of that. And then, <laughs> and then come back and say, oh, whoops, maybe I will take it into account from now on because yeah. <laughs> something happened. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah wow. Um, and so is this a kit that you can ship out to anyone, anywhere?
1: Yes. Now, at the moment, it's still hard copy. Yeah. Um, we're working on the e-version of our kits um, at the moment, and it's a bigger job than you expect it to be, as all of these jobs oh, always, are. always are. They always are, yeah. But, yes, our contraception kits, you can see them on our website, and you can order them through our clinic. They come with one of my books on... Uh, One of my books called Natural Fertility, which goes into all of this stuff in detail,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: comes with a lunar calendar for your personal lunar biorhythmic stuff, and it comes with a thermometer, and it comes with a workbook to help you through those first few learning months when you're learning how to chart, and a number of charts for you to fill out. The e-version will have an app, but right now we're still working on it. So, at the moment, it's still done through hard copy, but these kits really do give you all the information that you need. Uh, And they can be ordered through our website, through our clinic, or people sometimes want personal tuition, and then they come in and do it through one of our practitioners.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Do you guys offer Skype consults by any chance, or is it only physical? One of
1: of our practitioners does. Oh, wonderful. Um, Yes, I generally prefer to see people in person, but yeah, one of our of practitioners can do it through Skype as well. Yep.
0: Yeah, great. I, I just know, you know, I'm always thinking of the beautiful people we have around the world who think, oh, that really resonated with me what that particular practitioner said on the podcast. So they want to work with that person or with their clinic who share the same ethos. So I always like to make sure. Yeah. yeah. And um, so... I so we have your your books available, obviously, and to everyone listening, we'll have lots of links in today's show so that you connect connect further with Francesca's resources. Is there anything any parting wisdom you'd like to share before we finish <laughs> up? I feel like there's probably just so much more we could talk about, but for okay, you know what? For someone who's really scared, for someone who's thinking, no, this. This can't possibly work and I'll be that person who gets pregnant. How would you normally um, work to convince them other than to just get them charting? um, How emotionally can we make that transition, transition to trusting ourselves and feeling more empowered?
1: Well, of course, there are a number of studies showing success rates with natural contraception methods. And it's all up there in the top 90%, you know, 98% and so on. So, um, but they do, they do assume abstinence at fertile times, these, um, these particular studies that are looking at natural contraception. And I like to clarify with people that abstinence doesn't mean no sexual activity. It means no genital contact, internal mm-hmm. or external but it doesn't mean no sexual activity. So for some people who want to have absolute certainty, um, abstinence at those times doesn't mean you have to sleep in separate beds or anything. You know, <laughs> it's still possible to have a sex, a sex life. You just don't have genital contact. Yeah, it's not the Victorian era, folks.
0: We're, we're oh, over that. No. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the studies do show um, amazingly high rates for, um, for natural methods. Um, In the back of my book, we've got, you know, um, some figures for you on on the user success rate. And it's it's generally up there with with the
0: pill, basically. I was going to say, it sounds the same, yeah.
1: Yeah, if you do it correctly, of course, it does rely on some motivation. And I think the motivation comes from being curious about your own body because you learn such a lot. It's like an adventure into your body. So it's not just it 's not just a task it 's actually an adventure, mm. um, and if you do it properly, then it, yes, it does work. Um, there are errors in contraception rates you know some people conceive even when they 're on the pill. It, you know it can happen, um, so the natural methods have really high success rates, and as far as a woman feeling confident that she 's doing it. I think it's the charting to begin with in those first few months when you're actually noticing things, making making um, a written record of, of what's happening and seeing the patterns emerge and going, oh, look, that's happening. Oh, amazing. You know, that's really, I understand that now. It's really happened for me.
2: Mm.
1: And so in those first few months, you learn a lot about your patterns and what they mean. And really, everybody can do it. There's really no problems. Um, it's just a question of being motivated, being curious, um, and and paying attention.
0: I yeah. love it. And what could be better than us actually working with our natural state as opposed to a synthetic state? You know, it's, just, it's almost like, I, I, I don't know, there are just so many parts of, of modern life that seem to want to put us into an altered state. And... Um, And I just think, you know, if we can do this naturally and if we can get to know our bodies even better, then even if we're not wanting to conceive now or, you know, in the case of a lot of listeners, it'll be ever again because they've had their kids. But if you're thinking about it one day, then how powerful is that going to be for actually getting it right and getting it happening?
1: absolutely it 's the only contraception method that 's reversible <laughs> It can actually <laughs> help it. you help you to conceive when you change your mind Love it. and of course it 's also appropriate when you 're going through menopause because. You can still see what's happening in your body, Yeah. Uh, even if it's not the regular patterns that you were used to. So, you know, the advantages are just huge. There's no side effects. There's all this wonderful new information about your body. It's reversible. You can, you know, change your mind at any time, or I think I want to use this information in a different way. And it's lifelong. Yeah. So, yep.
0: There's nothing to lose. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much, Francesca, for joining me today for the podcast. I think uh, a lot of people have learnt a lot. I know I have. And, uh, and it was an absolute pleasure.
1: And a great pleasure, too, for, for me to be able to get more people interested in what their options are.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. And before I sign off, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that writes a review or leaves a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever it is you listen to the show. We appreciate it so much it's the best way you can say thank you because it helps us stay visible and it helps people who haven't listened to the show before but who might come across it in a search think "Mm, i might give that a go so i appreciate that and i'm wishing you the best week until next week you can catch us on lotoxlife.com and if you want to check out those show notes remember to put forward slash podcast and it'll take you straight there Otherwise, I'll also see you on Instagram. I'm always posting there. It's a little bit more uh, personal and a look at sort of how I eat and what I do and my dad's pictures of blossoms and whatever else is going on. And that's at Lotox Life. Have a great week and I'll see you next week.